And welcome to the latest edition of the One Hood Power Hour. I am your co-host, Kahari Mosley, here with my illustrious uh, co-hosts and colleagues, Miracle Jones and Ryan White in the building. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us this evening. We have a great, great uh, uh, episode tonight. We're going to be talking about a very, very important issue that you may or may not have heard about. Uh, judicial gerrymanding in the state of Pennsylvania. I know that's a lot of a uh, letter salad, word salad, but uh, we will, we have three uh, experts from the state of Pennsylvania. I'm here to talk about that. But before we get into that, you know, another week has elapsed in, in 2021. And let's go around and do some quick takes before we bring on our illustrious panel. So Miracle, um, what, what is your first hot take for tonight? Uh, my first hot take is I don't think the Super Bowl was worth people risking their lives uh, this weekend. Um, but I hope people are safe and quarantining now that they're returning home. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on. In addition, you know, the impeachment trial is supposed to start this weekend. I, I mean, this week. So I just hope that the next couple of weeks give us a uh, factual information and we're able to absorb everything and people just stay safe. So I think that's uh, two of the biggest things going on in the country right now. People trying to get home and uh, this impeachment trial starting. Absolutely. Ryan, Ryan, always great to be with you. Um, share with us your uh, hot takes. Most definitely. Uh, first of all, I just want to agree with Miracle. Um, that that really wasn't even a good game at all. So you know, even even without a pandemic, like I I probably wouldn't have watched you know more than like three quarters of that. But um, along the same lines, I'd say one of my bigger hot takes is probably that I seem to be the only person in Pittsburgh who's not uh, furious that Antonio Brown got a Super ring now. Um, I, I know he's got you know his own allegations and everything, so I'm not gonna say I'm a diehard fan still. But I, I seem to be the only Pittsburgher who's not who's not you know completely up in arms about him getting a ring. Um, but yeah, just some other news around the state. Um, you know, one of our recent guests, Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman, just declared that he'll be running for Senate. Um, so it'll be interesting to see as we get closer to that, who all will be running against him uh, and also vying for that seat. Um, you know, we got over a quarter million, I believe, um, of people who are fully vaccinated for COVID in PA now, um, which again, you know, it's been, it's been a slow, difficult process thus far, but it's still nice to see some milestones like that. Um, but yeah, so, so that's, you know, some of the stuff that's been going around, uh, going on around PA recently. Absolutely. Yeah. You had to add me to the club. Like it really didn't, you know, bother me, you know, the AB, you know, got his touchdown, you know, got his Super Bowl ring, you know, I mean, it just seemed like they, you know, put a really good team together. And, um, and I think one of the stories, you know, in all of the Tom Brady adulation has been lost is, you know, how diverse, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, you know, coaching staff was, and really, you know, Todd Bowles, a defensive coordinator, former coach of the New York Jets, um, you know, shouted out by Fife Dog, you know, in the in the last Tribe Called Quest album, you know, he, you know, he did the thing. I mean, that was uh, it is probably going to be a blueprint for how people are going to attack the Chiefs in the you know in the future. You know, uh, up to this point, the Chiefs had never been shut down ever under. Um, you know, Patrick Mahomes, but he was hurt too. You could tell, you know, he was definitely um, not himself he had, physically. Yeah, he just had no time either. Like, that, right. he never had a chance. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So, uh, 
So shout out to Temple University in the house. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know Temple University people are super, super amped about their university, and that's dope. You know, my man Davu Flint, for those of y'all know Davu, um, well-known Pittsburgh artist, world traveler, always shouting out Temple U. And my man Aaron Simpson, who went to Temple, I went to high school with. He's a big Temple guy, too. Um, yeah, so um, Miracle, any, anything else um, out there uh, that we should know about um, as we go into this new week? Um, I think Ryan touched on it a little bit about the vaccinations going on. There's been a lot of controversy um, with the, there's being a limited supply. Some governors aren't extending the categories for people to get vaccinated. Um, you know, fitly, there was a controversy with the person, you know, who was hired to do the rollout program. So there's a lot of stuff going on. And so we do hope that in the coming weeks, not only is there uh, an extended uh, rollout period for people to get vaccinated if they so choose that there is a lot more transparency that goes around with the data that is being collected because there's also issues of uh, people's race and ethnicities not being collected so then we don't have an accurate portrayal of who's getting the vaccine, who has access to it. We know people are leaving their neighborhoods and going to other neighborhoods to get vaccinated. So there's a lot of stuff going on um, in regards to that. So hopefully um, in the midst of this global pandemic, we're able to take a lot of steps. We know teachers are, retur are returning to in-classroom teaching and that's caused some disturbances in Chicago and Atlanta. And so we're just trying to see uh, how that plays out as well as also keeping our eye on the Alabama union vote for Amazon that's supposed to happen tomorrow. Um, so hopefully some fair, equitable uh, practices and safe practices goes for there. So that's, that's pretty much the hot takes that are, that are going on right now. And Mary, could you, you just elaborate a little bit more on, on that uh, issue in Alabama uh, with Amazon, um, you know, cause obviously, you know, I've worked, I spent eight years working on, on labor issues and, um, you know, I think one thing about people um, in our in our generation, in our generations, Gen X millennials, you know, don't really remember a lot of the labor fights of the past and don't necessarily even when their parents and grandparents were in unions kind of see. I always saw a disconnect to how younger Americans kind of see how they connect to the labor movement. So if you can just talk a little bit more about it um, for our viewers so they can understand that issue. Uh, yes. So in Alabama, and it's primarily being uh, pushed by uh, rural Black women in Alabama, um, Amazon is one of the companies that was working. They came in, they changed a lot of the rules and regulations so that um, Amazon is one of the employers that's had the largest percentage in America of employees testing positive for COVID-19. Um, some of the allegations are that people were not given proper PPE, that they were told that they could not um, take sick leave, that um, because they're not all full-time, they don't even, have, some people don't have the option for sick leave, people were losing um, pay. Um, there was an issue of Amazon taking tips away from some of their workers. There was also an issue of forcing people to stand um, for their complete 10 hour shifts, docking them when they went on breaks and lunches. Um, it's gotten uh, so bad that there was allegations that Amazon paid 
uh, city officials to change the way traffic lights worked so people could not um, uh, do union activities um, at stoplights since people weren't able to do union activities um, on the job. There's been people, there are allegations that people were terminated and fired for trying to unionize. Again, um, there's not a lot of benefits. People are literally getting injured and sick going to work at these facilities. And so if this vote goes um, as planned tomorrow, Alabama will be the first union in the whole entire Amazon um, distribution workforce that's able to unionize and have worker rights and benefits. And and in the last thing I'll say, could you talk about what that means? Like in in the South, as we know, um, the South isn't, you know, typically associated you know, with heavy union activity, many of those states are what they call right to work states, uh, you know, where unions have more obstacles um, to organize in as opposed to many states in the north and in the west. Yes. So for a right to work state, it basically means you can be fired for any reason. You don't have to have cause. Um, those are traditionally associated with um, removing uh, rights for uh, African-Americans after um, slavery. And again, after the civil rights movement, you saw a lot of like union busting uh, that became more widespread. And so if this goes into uh, effect and if they're successful, it will basically change the trajectory of how um, labor rights are perceived in the South. And again, this is coming after the Warnock Asa win um, in Georgia, because you see a lot more black and brown um, organizers really putting um, in work here in the South and creating new systems so people are able to engage and hold a lot of these uh, contractors, corporations, public officials accountable. And so if this would be, again, like the first union shop at an Amazon factory, if this goes um, according to a positive vote, what is it projected to do um, tomorrow evening? Awesome. Yeah, thank you for that. That's so important. Um, you know, as we you know, deal with, you know, social rights issues and environmental justice issues and just safety issues that, you know, people are still fighting, you know, for fair wages and proper treatment on the job. So thank you for sharing that, uh, that, that, that issue that is, that just so kind of crystallizes, um, you know, what the labor fight, you know, still means for so many people around the country. So now we're going to go into our incredible panel for tonight. Tonight, we're going to be talking about judicial uh, gerrymandering. There is a effort by Republicans in the Pennsylvania Assembly to to change the way that we elect our appellate court judges. Our appellate courts are the Superior Court, the Commonwealth Court, and the State Supreme Court. Currently, those elections and those people are chosen in elections, rather, statewide. Uh, What the change would do would create uh, almost like legislative style districts for the judicial um, candidates and people would run in districts um, across the state as opposed to um, running statewide. And um, there's a lot of issue to be concerned about that. And um, we're going to welcome our incredible, uh, incredible panel tonight. Our our first guest is Kadita Kenner from the PAA uh, Policy and Budget Center. Definitely a first ballot all-stater, born in western Pennsylvania, uh, raised in in southeastern Pennsylvania, went to Temple University, um, you know, like PA through and through. Uh, We're so excited to have Kadita Kenner on tonight. Uh, We also uh, have Khalif Ali from Common Cause, uh, one of my really good friends uh, from the Pittsburgh area, is now doing work statewide. And we also have Marie Albajez, who's doing fantastic 
uh, journalism at Spotlight PA. Uh, so let's welcome our, our panel. We're going to talk about this very, very important issue that's extremely timely and relevant. Um, a lot of things are, are going to be happening um, around this issue. So uh, welcome, welcome to the show. Uh, yeah, we're so excited. Uh, my good friend, um, J.J. Abbott, um, you know, who's well known as the former press secretary for Governor Wolf, and who I've got to know uh, after he graduated from Pitt and really began his illustrious career, said the panel was fire. So, you know, J.J. Abbott thinks the panel is fire. That's a great, great endorsement. So um, welcome. Welcome to the show. I want to start with uh, Kadita. Uh, welcome. And again, I said you're all state, you know, southwestern PA, southeastern PA. Um, are you going to run for governor one day or something? I mean, you see. We're <laughs> <Absolutely> not. <laughs> I mean, you just have you have the you have the perfect resume, but but in all seriousness, um, I want to ask you, you the first question. You talk a little bit about why this issue is so important, and some of the work that you've been doing with the Pennsylvania policy policy and budget center on it. Yeah, so we've been pushing back on the efforts to take away the independence of our judiciary for years now with the Pennsylvania Budget and Policy Center. Uh, one of those efforts began, you know, after the big election uh, that changed the way the judiciary currently looks in 2015. But it really took hold in 2018 when our Pennsylvania Supreme Court uh, ruled that our 2011 congressional maps were unconstitutional and that they were gerrymandered, that they were drawn to benefit a political party. Um, and so they changed those maps for us. Uh, and that was a ruling that uh, the, the Republicans didn't like. And they wanted to punish the Pennsylvania Supreme Court at that time. They went as far as to draft uh, articles to impeach our Pennsylvania Supreme Court justices. Representative Chris Dush, who's now state um, Senator Chris Dush out of Jefferson, Indiana counties, uh, out towards your uh, more direction. Um, you know, he wanted to impeach the Pennsylvania Supreme Court justices for the decisions that came out of those courts. And that's a relic out of um, Jim Crow, you know, when we talk about trying to impeach justices uh, based upon the decisions, the correct decisions that they're making. So we take uh, exception to that. We joined in with Common Cause, the League of Women Voters, back in 2018 to stop that attack on the independent judiciary. And we've joined efforts now with Common Cause, Pennsylvania's for Modern Courts, and more than 125 other organizations who are standing up and trying to stop the power grab against uh, the Pennsylvania appellate courts. And we are just going to be the collateral damage in all of this. They're mad at the courts, and they're going to take it out on us and try to disenfranchise us and change the way in which we currently are able to elect our appellate court judges. Yeah, thank you for that. Now we're going to uh, jump to Khalif. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the work that you've been doing with Common Cause? I know you've been uh, involved in um, some legal action, I believe, and, and, and made some uh, statements recently over the last month of uh, public around that. Can you talk a little bit about that uh, testimony and specifically uh, what Common Cause is doing around this issue? Sure. So uh, Common Cause is, is a national organization with um, with staff in probably over 20 states, probably over 20 states. And um, one of the, uh, the, the main uh, concern for us is about being vigilant around democracy. So, you know, and for us, what that means is 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 sort of safeguarding um, the process that's associated with people being able to voice their concerns, um, voice their approval or disapproval or, or whatever have you, but being able to participate fairly and justly in, in, in the democracy. And so, you know, we often um, speak out against against issues that we believe compromise our uh, the integrity of our democracy. You know, and, and uh, Katina uh, 
pretty much said exactly where we are with the Judicial Independence uh, Project of Pennsylvania. You know, uh, we are partnered with a number of statewide organizations who are focused on preventing uh, the bill is HB 38, um, which which is about drawing uh, judicial districts. So we're, we're focused on um, completely eliminating that bill and preventing it from uh, uh, making it to the ballot. Because but the last thing, and I think the most important point is that we believe that the, the judicial branch is probably our, our last saving grace with regard to democracy in this country. Um, and if we allow that to be compromised, we, we really don't have any hope in terms of a, uh, uh, this being uh, a, a true democracy. Thank you for that. Um, and now we're going to go to Marie before we open it up. Uh, questions. Um, from Ryan and Miracle. Uh, Marie, could you, um, besides what uh, Kadita and Khalif laid out so far, what are some of uh, the other um, uh, arguments that you're hearing against uh, judicial gender mannering? And in, in, the, in, the, in the reporting that you're doing, what are some of the arguments that you're hearing for? Sure, um, I'll start with the, the latter question first. Um, so the sponsor of the bill is Russ Diamond, a representative from Lebanon County. And he's arguing that, um, you know, judges come with a certain judicial philosophy. Uh, and right now on the courts, uh, the majority of the appellate court judges are from either Philadelphia or Pittsburgh. So the two kind of urban centers in the most uh, democratic areas of the state, obviously. Um, and he's arguing that the, the courts need to have more um, geographic diversity because someone from Lebanon County or Center County might have a different judicial philosophy than someone from Philadelphia or Pittsburgh. Um, and so he's pushing for kind of geographic diversity uh, to get that kind of across the board. And, and the way to do that is to, to have these judicial districts that are drawn every 10 years uh, by the legislature. Uh, and so that 10-year that cycle uh, correlates to the, the decennial census where we collect you know, population data every 10 years. So similar to our congressional districts and our legislative districts, those judicial districts would be drawn uh, every 10 years. And so some of the critics of the bill say that, you know, number one, those judges would be um, kind of, uh, they would be um, responsible for or, or represent their, um, their constituents uh, in those districts. They would be beholden to those constituents when, you know, judges really aren't supposed to be beholden to anyone, right? right. You know, a judge is supposed to, you know, interpret the law, regardless of whether they're from Philadelphia or um, Center County, for example. Uh, and then the other thing is that they would, the, the, the critics say that they, um, the judges would be beholden to the legislature as well, who has the power to, to redraw the, the districts in whichever way they want. So if a judge uh, does it, if a judge makes a ruling that the legislature isn't a fan of or is displeased with, they can just draw that, that judge out of that district right. when it comes time, you know, in the, the years that end in, in one uh, for the, for the census to come and, and for those lines to be redrawn. Wow. Merrick, do you have a question for the panel? Um, yes. My first question is going to be like how, or for somebody who's watching this, who's never heard of like judicial gerrymandering before, how does this directly impact people um, with having uh, all these new judges? We're talking about like diversity uh, based on regions. What is that going to look like for creating precedents and having, um, a, a standard legal code for the people know what's going on uh, when they go to file or go to submit appeals. 
I, I can jump in here if you like. Yeah, yeah please do. Yeah, so uh, that's a large question, Dan. <laughs> um, so a few things. Um, you know, how is this impact the people, right? So, you know, I want to correct Russ Diamond's assertions also in this answer, uh, which is that our appellate courts are not packed with um, Pittsburghers or folks from Philadelphia. That's that is the Supreme Court at the moment. That's their main concern is with the Supreme Court and not the Commonwealth Court and not the Superior Court. Actually, 22% of the entire population of Pennsylvania lives in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. Yet of all the appellate courts, 30% of the appellate court judges of those three courts actually live in Pittsburgh area or Philadelphia area. Um, so they choose the numbers that they like to, sh to share when they, when they throw those numbers out there. Um, what I want to say is that, you know, as Marie mentioned, there's no um, Elk County, Montgomery County, um, Lebanon County way to decipher uh, the Pennsylvania Constitution. Um, and again, these judges are not beholden to constituencies. They're beholden to the, the Constitution and the law. So where this plays in in our, in our communities is we think about the types of cases that are heard by the Commonwealth Court, the types of cases that are heard by the Superior Court. I'll take, for instance, a young woman in Delaware County, right outside of Philadelphia, who had to vote with a provisional ballot in this last election because she didn't get her ballot in time. Um, and so it was the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania who ruled that her provisional ballot should be counted. And so her voice was heard in this past election. Uh, these are the types of cases that are being heard by these courts that are upsetting um, some folks who currently sit in Harrisburg. Um, other cases you'll hear about, there was a woman in Philadelphia um, who is a, you know, is a victim herself of crime, lost her brother and her son to crime. She also went through the criminal justice system herself in Philadelphia. And um, she got to vote, as like many of us did two years ago, on Marcy's Law, the Crime Victims Bill that was on the ballot two years ago. And that was just overruled by the Commonwealth Court. They ruled that there were just way too many things going on within that ballot question, and they overturned it and, and um, took away our votes on that. It'll probably get appealed to the Supreme Court. But it's kind of examples of the cases that are heard. We're talking about appellate courts, right? Most cases stop at the common pleas level. We have a better shot maybe of winning that Powerball than having your case heard at the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. But I know that if I am someone who's about to get sent to Forest County um, and be incarcerated for a long amount of time, and I want to have um, the opportunity to appeal my case, I want to be able to appeal my case and a, and a judge hear my case that comes that is not from out of the center of the state. Um, you know, I want uh, just because they live in the center of the state. Um, so I think there is no rhyme or reason to Russ Diamond and how the districts will be split up. We don't know how they would do that. Uh, we know how they had an opportunity to do that in 2011 and what they did. So we don't think that we should allow the legislators to uh, to draw lines and determine, you know, how people are going to get this first justice. We already have something called prison gerrymandering, and that's a whole nother topic. Right. And if I could just kind of elaborate on Kadita's point is that these these are statewide uh, issues that these judges are ruling on. Right. And so the, the argument that critics who are against this bill also make is that, you know, why should uh, why should we vote? Why should we have a limit in who we can vote for when these judges are doing these rulings statewide, but I only get to vote for, you know, three people on the entire appellate court um, system instead of the 31 who make decisions that are going to impact me statewide, whether they come from Elk County or Philadelphia. So, so I'll say this though. Um, so, you know, the title of, of, of the show tonight is judicial gerrymandering. So this, 
this is what this is the outcome of what will happen if HB 38 is, is passed, right? So we'll have a legislator legislature that has been has gerrymandered the state and was trying and, and had gerrymandered the, the congressional districts, right? Drawing the lines for judges now. So we can assume that they will those districts will be gerrymandered as well. So let's look at it, let's look at the long game now. Kadita's absolutely right. There's not going to be a lot of cases that float up to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. But the ones that do are critical, right? Those are going to be the critical ones that we look at for this state. And then when, if, if you know, let's say it's gerrymandered and we don't get the decisions we want and we try to take it to the U.S. Supreme Court, we know the composition of the U.S. Supreme Court, right? We know that the judges are all about state sovereignty and they're going to kick the, kick the decision back down to the states. And what do we have then, right? If you have a gerrymandered uh, 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 appellate court and the decisions all go conservative and we try to kick it up to the U.S. Supreme Court, it's going to get kicked back right back down um, and we're stuck. So we, it, it's critical because the critical nature of the decision to actually make it up there, you know, we're, we're talking about our, you know, uh, back to the districts, congressional districts, state districts. You know, um, a lot of other issues that we that are critical for us. We're not going to get we're not going to get those and, and we're not going to have found relief at the, at the U.S. Supreme at the federal level. So that's I mean, for that's the long game that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Ryan, question for the panel. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Kahari. Um, yeah. So for the for the drawing of districts, you know, for congressional districts and everything like that, um, there, there's like certain criteria that they have to adhere to in the drawing of those districts. Obviously, not that effective actually in preventing gerrymandering. Um, but you know, say say this this were to pass, and we do, um, and and we are in a system of, of judicial districting. Um, what sort of criteria would there be in place to determine how those districts were drawn? Would it would it be modeled after um, you know the way that congressional districts are drawn now? Or would it be more or less restrictive in terms of that criteria um, that's there to, you know, try to prevent gerrymandering in theory, at least? I can jump in there. Yeah. 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 Jump okay. in, Kadita. All right. So, you know, there, there's all types of things they have to take into account when it comes to drawing lines, right? Contiguous lines, you know, keeping in with, you know, similar communities, et cetera, et cetera. And also keeping in mind the Voting Rights Act, right? And uh, the VRA. Um, but what you'll see here with these judicial districts are that they're split up by the amount of judges who sit on the bench. So the 15 judges who sit on the Superior Court, they would break it up into 15 different districts for the Superior Court. Um, they would break it up into seven districts for the Supreme Court. And, and again, we're giving this power to the legislature who are proven um, to not be able to do this effectively without gerrymandering in their favor. Um, so, you know, this is this is just... <laughs> you know, this is just letting somebody take um, the power away from the judicial branch in order to serve their interests. Um, and this is not going to help with any type of diversity on the bench. It won't help with gender diversity on the bench, which we happen to do a good job with that here in Pennsylvania on the appellate courts. It won't help with racial diversity on the bench. Um, they can draw out um, areas as they do. You know, if you have one court, this, if you're doing seven districts for the Supreme, you have one court in Philly and one in Pittsburgh, and then you have five in the center of the state. Uh, potentially, that's how that could look. Um, and so that will do nothing to help 
uh, racial diversity on the bench, uh, which is lacking here in Pennsylvania. One of 30 of the current sitting judges um, are a person of color. Um, and so that's problematic. And then if you think about what's happening in the T of the state, you know, the top and then the down the center there, a lot of the common pleas judges, and this is where we get our appellate court judges from, the common pleas, not a lot of women sitting in those common pleas um, counties. For instance, Lebanon County, Russ Diamonds County, not one woman sits on the common pleas court. How are you going to get a woman out of Lebanon County or Lancaster County, another county with zero women on the common pleas court? How are you going to get a woman up to the appellate courts from that area when you don't have any on the common pleas court? Um, and studies have been done, and, and we can, you know, there's evidence that says other states who draw their maps the way that West Diamond wants us to, like Illinois, um, have not had success in bringing on any racial diversity to the bench through the methods in which they are electing judges. Wow. And one thing that just, that came to mind, actually, uh, Marie, when you were when you were you know, explaining, and Kadita, your comments um, get at this point too, it, it definitely seems like there's definitely an argument against um, you know, Russ Diamond and, and these other uh, folks' assertions, um, you know, around disenfranchisement, right? You know, if I can only choose three of the 30 plus judges that sit on the appellate courts, you know, I, are I being disenfranchised, you know, out of like 28 votes, um, you know, when, when, it, when it comes to that? So has, has there been people making that disenfranchisement um, argument? And if you could just elaborate more. Uh, yeah, there have, and and maybe Kadita could could speak more to that. Um, you know, when when that argument gets brought up, uh, Russ Diamond likes to bring up the fact that uh, a lot of the people who are against this bill uh, seem to support um, appointing judges uh, instead of electing them. Um, so there's, you know, this has been kind of a, a big debate among states for for years and years and years. And and, and uh, this proposal, judicial districting, goes back at least as far back as 1989 in Pennsylvania. Some version of this, um, but you know, the other way to to get our judges is to appoint them uh, either through a, an independent commission or a commission of some sort, uh, or through you know a, a gubernatorial appointment or a, even the legislature appointing them um, or or confirming them at the very least. And so um, there those who support this kind of pivot the argument about disenfranchisement to say, well, you know, if you support um, appointing judges, then you completely disenfranchise the voters because, you know, yeah, that voter could choose to vote for, for the governor who's going to appoint that judge. But uh, you know, you're not uh, allowing the voters to to vote for those judges anymore. You're kind of narrowing it down to just that one representative who's going to then appoint the judge for you. Yeah, I just want to say, you know, Pennsylvania, one of eight states in the entire country who vote for our judges. Most states do not vote for judges. And currently, while we do not have merit selection here in the state, while we are currently voting for our judges, if I can vote for all 31, I want to vote for all 31. I don't want to vote for the three right. that uh, Representative Russ Diamond out of Lebanon County tells me I'm allowed to vote for. I don't want to vote for just one on the Commonwealth. I don't want to vote for just one on the Supreme or one on Superior. I want to vote for all 31. Because if it's my day in court and I'm sitting before a panel, I'm not going to sit before just the one that I elected or didn't elect. I'm going to sit in front of three or more, and I want to have the opportunity to vote for all of them. And, and let me just let me just say that, and, and Kadita's right. I, I, I mean, I feel the same way. But so there's a slew of 
arguments from every single impossible angle against this legislation. And, you know, the fact of the matter is there, there are no entities, no organizations, you know, not the DA's association, uh, but, you know, no organization that has come out in support of of this legislation, which is unusual, um, but which makes sense because it doesn't make sense at all. Um, we there's there's so many arguments against it and, and from so many different angles that is 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 almost ridiculous at this point and we're still waiting for some some someone other than Rush Diamond and and, and, and the rest of the Republicans to come out and actually oppose uh, I mean support this bill there's no one here there's no one out there that's supporting that's willing to support this bill interesting America do you have another question um, yes because and I know uh, we do have some slides to show folks. But I was wondering, is there any type of argument that if we're going to start carving up the, the judicial section by region, then the next step is to only have certain judges only hear kind of how the federal districts are to only hear cases within their regions um, as well? Or is it just we're going to do the judicial gerrymandering and we'll leave it up to chance? Because there's also a racial element when we talk about where particularly a lot of the black and brown folks live in this in the Commonwealth. And so if we're going to increase the chances that people who are making decisions not only don't look like people coming in front of them, but now um, under this judicial diversity uh, model have nothing in common with the people that they're seeing as well. So I was wondering, um, has that discussion been going on as well? I'll, I'll say this. Uh, we don't know too much about what the legislative accomplishment is, um, accomplishment is to this uh, House Bill 38. We don't know very much about how this is really going to go down. Um, if Even if you look into the bill, you know, you pull up the bill, you go in, and read through. Uh, we don't really know how they're going to determine what kind of, who hears what cases, where the judges, uh, what's going to happen to the current judges who sit on the bench, will they need to move? If they currently live in, in Harrisburg, because there's three um, appellate court judges who live in Harrisburg, will they need to move out of Harrisburg and move to, to Bradford County in order to stay on? How will they continue to be um, uh, put back on the bench after 10 years? Uh, will there be that opportunity? Uh, will there be courthouses that need to be built in Johnstown to, to go along with this? Um, so I think that there's just so much unknown because the accompanying legislation is just not complete. Um, so you're asking questions that kind of we would like to know the answers to as well. I don't know if Marie has been able to dig into that a little further. No, so we know that, you know, Louisiana is one of the states, one of two states that that has a similar model. Um, Louisiana and Illinois um, have regional uh, judicial districts, at least for Supreme Court. Uh, the difference between them and Pennsylvania's proposal is that their lines have not been redrawn in a long time. Illinois, since 1963, when, when this uh, was wow. uh, when it was law and then. Um, Louisiana since at least 2000. Now, there is a lawsuit, uh, the NAACP sued in Louisiana um, to, to force the legislature to redraw their judicial districts because there was the, 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 the uh, Supreme Court is lacking uh, a minority representation. And so they're arguing that uh, another mi majority minority district needs to be redrawn. So we do see 
that there is litigation happening. And that may very well be the case if this passes through as well. Um, and I do want to just point out um, in the bill, it, you're, you're right, Kenita, does say, you know, the legislature will establish by law the districts. So that's that's pretty much all we know. We don't know um, how how those districts will be drawn. You know, I posed the question to Russ Diamond. I asked him, you know, if you had a magic wand and could could draw the map yourself, what would it look like? And he said, you know, I'm not a professional map drawer, so I can't answer that question. Um, but he did tell me that uh, because it would be established by law, it would be similar to the congressional uh, redistricting. It would be a bill, uh, just like any other bill in the legislature, that is uh, subject to the governor's veto. Um, so he said, you know, there would be that check uh, with the governor. And he also said that the Supreme Court would be involved. And, and that is written in the bill that the uh, the, the districts would be drawn, drawn with input from the Supreme Court. So it's a lot of um, clarity that is missing uh, in, in exactly how this would happen. And, that, and actually, that raises a huge point because, uh, you know, the points that, that, that Kadita, you've been hitting on, you know, um, all evening, as well as Khalif, you hit on as far as the history, you know, with the congressional districts that were, uh, you know, written last decade. And then one then says, well, we just came through a period of time when the Supreme Court, you know, had to intervene in the drawing of districts. Now, what happens when we get, you know, into the, this uh, kind of circular metaphysical moment when the Supreme Court then has to rule on districts that involve themselves. Um, you know, what has, you know, what talk has there been about that? Has there been any thinking of what happens constitutionally, you know, when a body, you know, basically is deciding their own fate in me, you know, in, in some ways. I mean, if you, if you read the bill, it, it's, it's one of the most poorly written bills that you, you probably will ever come across. I mean, it doesn't take into account so many factors, many of which Marie, and Kadita mentioned um, some of the simplest ones too, like simply, what are we going to do about who's seated now? You know, um, just the simple uh, matters that have uh, that aren't that, that need to be addressed haven't even been addressed. You know, it's it's clearly it's one of the most emotional bills that I've ever seen in my life. I'll tell you that much. In terms of it's a reprisal bill against the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. It's extremely emotional. Angry about the outcome of the election. Angry about the decisions that were made as after the after the after enduring the election, um, and, and it's, it's, it just reads that way if you read the bill. It's just not a good bill at all. Right. Well, and, and I know we have some slides. Before we get to that, I just want to talk just briefly about like what's next. I know there's a date coming up very soon when 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 it's going to be decided whether or not you know. So can we talk a little bit about the sausage making part of this, which I'm sure is going to make all the viewers excited. You know about like where we're at from you know today's uh, the eighth. To, I believe the 19th is, 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 is the deadline that we're looking at. So I'd love to talk about the sausage. So let's talk about how the sausage is made. <laughs> I don't know how that came across. All right, here we go. So obviously, you know, we're trying to fight this so it doesn't get on a ballot here in the state of Pennsylvania uh, because Pennsylvanians since 1996 have said yes every time something appeared on a ballot. Since 1996, 17 times we have said yes on ballot <laughs> questions. So we don't want it to get to the ballot and have to fight that. Um, so, yeah, so right now where we are is shout out to all the activists out there and advocates watching this because their letters to the editor, their op-eds, their phone calls into legislative offices, their emails into legislative offices, their visits to legislative offices if they feel comfortable is what is allowing us to not claim victory yet, 
um, on this, but know that it's going to be a hard way to go for them to get this on the mail on the uh, May ballot. Nothing in Harrisburg is normal, just like nothing in D.C. is normal. So, yeah, the, you know, session days are running out on them. The calendar is running out on them. Um, but session days can be added and calendars can change. So I'm not going to feel good. I'm sure Khalif won't feel good about any of this until um, until the, the drop dead date um, of the 18th on this one, February 18th. But then we've got to go up against that end of July date for them to get it on the November ballot. So we may be winning this particular battle, but we have not won the entire war yet because they could put this on the November ballot if they can get this through by the end of July. And just to, to back up a little bit and get a little bit more technical. Um, so the, the, the deadline that Kadita is talking about, the 18th of February, um, per the Constitution, the Department of State has to publish um, the results of the vote on this bill uh, three months ahead of the election in which they want to get the ballot, uh, the question on the ballot. So that would be the May 18th election pushes us back to February 18th. Uh, you're likely to see a lot of constitutional amendments uh, one way or another, either on the May ballot or the November ballot. So um, the, the, the way that we get a constitutional amendment on the ballot is to pass it in cons consecutive legislative sessions, uh, and then it goes to a vote. Um, so it's a pretty big deal to, you know, change the constitution. Um, so there's that February 18th day, uh, and, um, the legislators aren't supposed to be, uh, back in session until March. Um, like Adita said, they could add days or, 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 um, you know, just add days. Uh, now this, this passed a house committee, um, it passed with, uh, I think it was 13 to 12. You had two Republicans voting with all the Democrats uh, to uh, to have this fail, and it actually passed narrowly. Um, but it's you know set, it's been sitting uh, since that committee meeting, which is sometime in January. Uh, so it still needs you know that three consecutive um, days in the House, and then it also still needs to go to the Senate. So it's not looking likely that it will be on the May ballot simply because uh, there are no more legislative days scheduled in February before February 18th. Uh, now, as Kadita said, you know, they could push it to the November ballot. Um, I don't want to speculate as to why uh, this hasn't got, you know, gotten uh, votes on the House yet. It hasn't been brought up. Uh, the the leaders in the Republican uh, majority decide when bills are put up for a vote. So I don't know if Kadita or Khalif, you have heard any rumors about why exactly this hasn't gotten a vote yet? Um, you know, that is twelve thirteen is 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 a good reason. Um, <laughs> it, the votes may not be there. You know, everything is everything is chest um, and. When they realized that th this was as was a very very close vote and may not make it over the, over the top, they had to pull back and I guess you know have some additional conversations um, to ensure that they could actually get this thing passed. But we're going to be having conversations too, so <laughs> so <laughs> we might we might be saying the same thing in November, hopefully, right, Kadita and Embry, because <laughs> we're going to have those same conversations as well. I did have um, a question. So this past election, we've heard a lot about um, the demographics changing throughout the Commonwealth. People are kind of moving, moving more into middle Pennsylvania. And so it seems that one of the arguments is going to be that there is a perception that you change 
you just judicial gerrymandering and it's going to be more traditional folks being on the ballot. But in the realities, that may not be the case because of how many people are moving into Pennsylvania and kind of leaving um, the cities. And I'm wondering how that has been factored into making sure that when we do, I know we said the bill isn't really there, but how that at all has been factored into the way that this diversity of um, judicial thought is being described and being promoted in conservative circles. That's, that's a good question. That's a good question. Um, so I'll say this. Um, um, everybody wants to be, everybody, I think everyone appreciates the fact that they're able to vote for or have a way in on all the judges of the appellate, you know. Um, that's not a that's not a partisan piece. I, th I think that that goes both ways, you know. Um, and you know when you when you're when you're thinking about a message and you're crafting a message, you know. I think everybody is 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 open to change, as as long as they don't lose anything as a result of that change, you know. Um, and 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 you know in our minds, you know, uh, talking to people about the fact that, you know, your voice will not be. Will, may not be heard or it only be heard in, in, in this very narrow circumstances of judges uh, within your district. Um, I think that's a compelling, uh, that's a compelling argument. That's a, a, a compelling conversation to have. And, you know, there's still some people out there who actually believe in democracy and what it means. Uh, so, so, you know, if, if you can't, if we can't have, if we can't get down to the specifics, we can talk about democracy and the integrity of democracy and how it's being challenged daily and, and especially in particular with this bill. And, you know, and, you know, folks are concerned about having that regional flavor. You know, I want to feel as though my judge understands me. We came from the same neighborhood. Maybe I had a beer with him at the local bar, you know, 15 years ago. You get that on the lower courts. You know, you get that on your common pleas because you're electing those judges by county or your municipal courts where you're electing them by really your neighborhood. Right. So if, if you want to have that local flavor and you want to feel as though your judge gets you, you get that at the common pleas level. Again, the appellate courts are the final arbiters of the decisions that are made, and they're going based upon the Pennsylvania Constitution and the law, not any kind of um, issues that are regional related. You know, if I'm someone who lives in Chester County, you know, I grew up in Chester County, I may have an issue with the pipelines, right? But do I need to have a judge who lives in Chester County to understand the pipeline situation? Um, so, and the other thing too is, is, is this also puts money into these races. Um, where, you know, you're inserting a lot of money. Illinois just had the most expensive um, election for a judicial race in history, $10.7 million for an anti-retention campaign. 4.5 of that, 4.5 million of that 10.7 came from one man, a hedge fund owner, who inserted himself into this election. Um, so I, I think that if you're trying to speak to the middle of the state, the T of the state, about why this is problematic for them, um, I think it's problematic for them because you think about what I said earlier about the getting the women on the bench. There's a lot of women in the center of the state. I think they would like to see themselves um, on the bench. That would be a problem for the center of the state. And again, as Cleve said, we, no matter where we live in, in Pennsylvania, there's still a lot of us who believe in democracy and we know the difference between lower courts and the appellate courts and the functions that they have. Yeah, thank you for that, Kadita. Um, and then before we get to the graphics, I just had a quick, uh, really two questions, I guess. Um, 
But so for for House House Bill thirty eight this time around, uh, it was really abruptly rushed to a vote in the committee without you know any sort of like public hearing or, or testimony or anything like that. Um, if they do end up having to you know wait to try to get this on the ballot in November rather than getting it there by May, um, do you think you know the Republican legislature will allow any sort of public hearing or testimony, uh, or you know will they try to block that for the reasons we've discussed that there's not really any you know, uh, legal, you know, legal group or anyone in that field that supports it. Um, and then two, you know, if, if there is any sort of hearing or, or testimony allowed, um, you know, given that 1312 vote and, you know, it seems like maybe there's still some people on the fence since they haven't tried to rush it to a vote now. Do you think that, you know, any of that testimony would be able to potentially sway anyone at this point? Or do you think minds are, are more or less made up by now? So, so let me say this, um, democracy works best when people are active and engaged, right? It works best. It, we don't get a well-functioning democracy when people withdraw, you know, we don't vote, we don't participate in these conversations, we don't go to public hearings or things like that. Publicly elected officials count on our ignorance in these situations in order to move legislation. We have to be able to be aware of what it means to have these judicial districts, the difference between courts, the, you know, the, the importance of independent, the independence of the judicial branch, you know, these are things that we really need to know. And these are the conversations we need to have in, in our communities um, beyond, beyond this particular issue, because it doesn't begin or stop with HB 38. You know, this is, these are conversations, the, the overarching conversation is around democracy, right? And these are conversations we have to have on our own in our own neighborhoods in order for us to be much more effective and to have a stronger democracy. You know, we can't depend on on the rust diamonds of the world to have these these um, public hearings in which, you know, you might you, you might find out about it, you know, at the last minute. If, if you're watching the site, if you're on the legislative site, you know, we have to we have to get to a point where we're comfortable having overarching conversations around democracy in our own neighborhoods like we used to, you know, um, you know, Kari, the whole barbershop phenomenon, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> we got to get back to those moments, to those moments where we can, where we can have these conversations. So in answer to your question, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, he might, but if we're not participating, if we're not engaged, if we're not participating, if I don't understand how this connects to my day to day, then I'm not going to the hearing anyway. I'm not going to pay attention to it anyway. So part of my responsibility is helping people understand how it connects. And their responsibility is once they see it connects to get there, get to the public hearing, have the conversations that need to be had, you know? So that's that's where I am with it. And I actually uh, asked Russ Diamond about this a few weeks ago, you know, will the public have a chance to weigh in on this? And he said uh, that they are fielding and receiving public feedback uh, and that, you know, ultimately the constitution can be amended with amended by a vote of the people at the ballot box. So in other words, you know, you, you will have your voice heard at the ballot box, but that is the only time it sounds like, I mean, I don't think he's ruled out, you know, a public hearing, but we are fielding and receiving public feedback is the extent of will the public be able to weigh in. And I'll say, thankfully, I think that maybe what has pushed this thing out of possibility for May's ballot is that the public has been reaching out the fact that Russ Simon is the only one who's speaking in favor of this and he doesn't he doesn't know justice on his own 
Um, you know, there's more than 125 organizations as part of, you know, the JIPA table, the Judicial Independence Project of Pennsylvania. And we represent Pennsylvania. And we're, and we're calling ourselves a table and not a coalition because we don't agree on every issue. But on this issue, we agree. And we're folks who some of us who are in favor of merit selection, some of us not. Some of us in favor of some environmental changes, some of us not. Some of us in favor of a woman's right to choose, maybe some of us not. But yet, we all agree that House Bill 38 is problematic, and we've all joined together at this table to fight back. And that's what Russ Simon doesn't have. He doesn't have that public opinion that we have. We're out here. Hundreds of letters to the editor have been written about this issue. A groundswell of opinion is three or four people reaching out to a legislator and talking about something. And we're having hundreds of calls into offices being made. Um, and so they're hearing the opposition. And I'm not sure that they're hearing those who are in support. And if there is someone in support, they should come public because they're not saying anything out loud. Mm. And so we had a couple of questions in the chat about how, how like, who elects judges, how many judges are elected. And I know you have some slideshow information just to um, center us and ground us as we go out. So um, if you can pull up the slides um, for the people and just explain um, what they're seeing on these four slides so that they'll be able to have the uh, information to make the best decisions uh, for themselves. Yeah, so, you know, it's been some time since we had civics, right? Ninth, 10th grade, and that's kind of the way for some of us and others. Uh, so this is just a look at the hierarchy of the courts here in Pennsylvania. So you have your minor courts, it could be your traffic courts, it could be your magisterial courts, they might hear something about parking or speeding, um, and they can still dispense justice and give up to like a five-year sentence, so they're not all that minor. Um, and then you have the courts of common pleas, and that's your trial courts, and that's where most cases are going to be um, heard and stopped. They're not going to get to the next level, which is your intermediate appellate courts, your Commonwealth Court, which is uniquely Pennsylvanian, and the Superior Court. Um, and then the final uh, arbiter here in the state of Pennsylvania is our Pennsylvania Supreme Court. And then what you'll see on the next slide here is kind of who sits currently on the Superior Court. So there's supposed to be 15 judges on the court. There's currently one vacancy. That's why I mentioned the 30 number instead of 31 earlier. Um, but these judges, as we know, we elect them in statewide elections currently. They serve 10-year terms. It's a partisan election. But then we have the opportunity to retain them or not, and then they can serve another 10 years. There's currently seven Democrats and seven Republicans evenly split on the Superior Court right now. Um, you'll see that also if you look very closely, and it's probably hard if you're watching this on, on your phone, um, but there's only one person of color in this picture, and that's a Superior Court Judge Carolyn Nichols, and she is the only person of color on all of the appellate courts. Uh, the next one you'll see here is the Commonwealth Court, and like I said, this is uniquely Pennsylvania. They hear cases about the state government and government agencies. Again, 10-year terms, partisan elections. There are seven Republicans and two Democrats, um, and this is the other of the two intermediate appellate courts. Um, and then you see a good amount of women. If you look at these pictures, you see a good amount of women, more women on the Commonwealth Court than men. Uh, so again, we do a great job statewide when we elect judges statewide on the appellate courts of putting women on the bench. And then the final one here is the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. And if you take a good look at these folks, uh, you'll see again, uh, almost an even split of, of men and women. It's getting closer there. There are five Democrats who currently sit on the Supreme Court and two Republicans. Um, it's a partisan election. Again, we vote for these justices uh, in 10 year terms and then a nonpartisan retention vote after they've sin served 10 years. And then you get to go to the ballot box, uh, you know, in, in November and you can say yes or no to retain them. 
And Pennsylvania, fun fact, uh, the oldest uh, appellate court in the United States, 1722. It's the final stop, and most cases are going to stop there. And that gentleman in the center, he'll be retiring very soon. Uh, the next Chief Justice will make Pennsylvania history. Uh, she'll be Chief Justice Deborah Todd, um, and she's to his right there in that picture, and she'll be the, uh, the first woman here in Pennsylvania history to have the Chief Justice title. And that's all due to seniority on the bench. So, um, you know, just in, to, you can take that down if you'd like. I just wanted you all to see currently who's sitting on our benches here in the state so you get an idea of who these folks are. Um, and just know that they come from all over the state, if they were even born in the state or if they were even born in the United States. Um, and I think that we kind of take our values with us. So, you know, I was born outside of Pittsburgh in Monroeville. I grew up outside of Philly in Westchester. I currently live in Harrisburg. And I take all of that flavor with me wherever I go. And um, I, it's just a reminder to the folks out there that our appellate court justices are the final arbiters. They are not beholden to us, only beholden to our Constitution and the law. We get that local flavor at our lower court level. And one question, because um, no, everyone knows that you know, out of the three um, hosts, you know, I've worked on a, on, a, on a ton of campaigns, you know, here in Pennsylvania, and you know, one I was very much involved in was the uh, 2015 um campaign um you know which um actually uh i believe uh justices donahue wecht and doherty uh, got elected um as well as i believe uh justice wojcik at the commonwealth court level if i'm not mistaken and i know I, I think it was five seats up um that year and i think it was a clean sweep for the democrats has there been any talk about specifically that race you know, because that race specifically really transformed the court. And I feel like this year could be a very similar year as well, because in the midst of this conversation that we're having, each of those courts has a seat um, open, you know, beyond the retention votes, has has an open seat, you know, on the court. So, uh, you know, behind the scenes, how much did the 2015 election, you know, bear into, you know, Russ Diamond's motivations, uh, whether he says it or not? Um, you know, what are you hearing about how the 2015 election has impacted the way folks are looking at this moving forward? So I see, I'm looking at like memes right now, <laughs> like everybody's. <laughs> it's like we just created a meme just now. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, so I don't know. I'm not sure about the election. I'm sure that had that played into a, a bit, but um, with regard to this, the, the presidential election, man, um, the outcome of the election, the outcome of lawsuits challenging the validity of the, of the, of the election, you know, lawsuits uh, barring the uh, certification of the election, all of those things and the decisions that were handed down, um, not just by the Supreme Court, <laughs> by the Superior Court as well, I mean, and, and the Commonwealth, uh, it just didn't, it, it just didn't sit well with, with, with old Russ, you know? Um, and, uh, and again, if you look at the bill, it, it kind of tells you that there wasn't a lot of thought put into it. Um, this was purely about, uh, this was a punitive measure against the appellate courts. Um, uh, based on the decisions that were made as a result during and after the election. Um, and it's and it's clear. It's as clear as day. Um, uh, and and um, I think and you know and ultimately I I believe because of 
because of the punitive nature of the bill, it's not going to, I don't believe it's going to succeed. You know, um, don't, that doesn't mean we don't, we, we stop working as Kadita, like, as Kadita will always <laughs> yeah. say, we don't stop working until the job is done, but we think we got enough steam to, to, to make this happen. Okay. And maybe I'll say what Khalif would not say. <laughs> um, and, and that is that that last selection that put all those judges on the bench was very um, eye-opening for a lot of folks. And there were some folks who put a lot of thought into throwing a lot of money into that election to get the outcome that they wanted because they know that redistricting was coming up. Um, they know the importance of the courts. And so, um, yeah, that weighed very heavily, I'm quite sure, on Russ Diamond and Chris Dush and others, you know, even when they were trying to impeach the, the justices uh, back in 2018. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure that was a thought in their mind, but unfortunately for the Republicans, they had Russ Diamond as the sponsor of this bill, who did not, as Khalif say, um, use a lot of emotion and not a lot of thought into writing this bill out. Uh, Brian, did you have a question? Yeah, I did. Thanks, Kahari. Um, yeah, so in addition to House Bill 38, um, and, the, and the districting of um, judicial elections. One thing that was mentioned earlier is that a lot of states um, handle that via appointment. And I believe that there's also a bill in the House, either, either in the House Judiciary Committee or it had been passed by committee at some point, um, you know, related to, to changing the, um, that process to, to one of um, an appointment process rather than an election process. Um, so, yeah, just any information on on where that bill is right now, you know, any any potential likelihood of that ever getting on a ballot or coming to a vote or anything along those lines. I'm, I'm looking for the bill now because I can't remember where it is and, and who sponsored it. So if Kadita or Khalif, you want to weigh in? <laughs> I, I don't want to speak. I want to say it's um, Sailor. Um, who just came out recently um, making a statement that, you know, they're in favor of merit selection. Merit selection actually had bipartisan support. Um, so, you know, I heard one legislator say that if House Bill 30, you know, passes and then we get to vote on this, they're still going to bring up the merit selection eventually um, because that's that's where they like to see. You know, there's organizations like Pennsylvania's for Modern Courts very much in favor of merit selection. Um, organizations such as the ACLU, not so much. Um, so, you know, there, there's definitely pluses and minuses to, to both ways to elect judges, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that that one had some bipartisan support and it had some movement along the way, um, but the House 38 kind of took all the air out of those sales, I think, at the moment. Interesting. And, and uh, go ahead, Murray. So, yeah, Paul uh, Schemmel is a Republican out of Franklin County. He's got the bill. So, um, yeah, I mean, it does seem like, you know, a Republican is carrying this bill. It doesn't seem like it's gone anywhere. It's still um, in the House Judiciary Committee at this point. And I did want to just switch gears to another issue that is related uh, around some reporting that you did, Dunmarine. If you could talk a little bit about um, the outgoing um, Pennsylvania Secretary of State. You, you recently wrote, wrote a piece about that because that's actually directly tied to constitutional amendments and certain uh, kind of uh, administrative functions that they have that impacted a, a, a particular uh, uh, amendment that was going to go on the ballot and they stepped down and you wrote a little bit about how that could impact, you know, future kind of election uh, work and, and engaging voters in the state of Pennsylvania and what that means for voters across the Pennsylvania with Kathy Brookfar um, leaving her post as state uh, secretary of state. 
Yeah, so um, I'm just pulling up the story that my my colleague um, initially wrote the story about um, Secretary of State Kathy Bookfar resigning over um, a, a pretty big mistake that the department made. So, uh, like I said earlier, if you uh, have a constitutional uh, amendment, uh, the Department of State has to publish that announcement of, of the legislature's votes uh, three months ahead of time in, I believe it's two newspapers in every county. And for one constitutional amendment uh, that was supposed to be on the ballot this May, um, it had to do with uh, giving uh, victims of child sexual abuse um, kind of this, this two-year window uh, to, I guess, sue, um, and Kadita or Khalif, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, to, to be able to sue kind of their, um, their accusers, uh, giving them that, 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 that two-year window that they otherwise wouldn't have had. So um, that amendment was supposed to be on the ballot uh, this May after passing in two consecutive legislative sessions. And it turns out that um, the Department of State did not, uh, as constitutionally required, uh, publish that amendment. And so she uh, took responsibility for that uh, and resigned. Uh, I believe Friday was her last day and they, uh, the governor has appointed an acting uh, secretary. Um, and so, you know, uh, this was unrelated to any of the election uh, drama that happened in 2020, right? The the secretary was uh, and still is accused of Republicans of kind of manipulating the system, of overstepping her authority in issuing guidance to uh, counties in um, how they should deal with uh, mail ballots, which of course was was new this year, um, giving everyone uh, the right to vote uh, by mail, regardless of whether you had an excuse or not, you didn't need a reason. Um, so that was new, and, and there was um, some instances in which the counties needed clarity on, you know, what to do. They had a lot of questions, and so the Secretary of State uh, issued guidance. Um, and so, you know, her her resignation uh, over this constitutional amendment uh, requirement was unrelated to the election, uh, and yet. Um, you know, we can already see that Republicans are kind of using that as as fuel for, you know, we've known the, they say we've known that she was incompetent from the start. And this, you know, just further proves that, you know, the department needs some some looking into and um, the House Republicans have been doing a series of election hearings. We have one again on Thursday, um, just examining, you know, the election and examining the Department of State's role in the election. So uh, there was a it was a big week last week. <laughs> Wow, that's a lot. And we have been <laughs> dropping um, some of your uh, incredible uh, uh, journalism um, in, in the comment section. So we're going to be sharing that with our viewers as well. And going back even to some of the uh, stuff that you did right after the election, you know, covering the Dominion voting machines and all the excellent work that you did around all the drama that we are all, well, much, much too familiar with <laughs> since the November election. But uh, now I'm going to pass the baton uh, to my trusty colleague, Miracle Jones. Uh, yes. And taking one of the questions from the chat, um, some it was Faith who asked, like, what are some of the key points that we can use to educate others um, about this bill and the response? And in your response, can you also include how people can get in contact uh, with your organizations and get involved um, if you are still taking on volunteers for this issue? Go ahead, Kadita. 
All right, the top lines, right? So if you have someone stuck in an elevator with you and you got 20 seconds to break down judicial gerrymandering, one, it's disenfranchising us at the moment. We currently can vote for 31 judges. We want to vote for 31, not three, that are uh, drawn by the legislature. It's a power grab by the legislative branch to usurp their authority over the judicial branch. We have three independent uh, co-equal branches of government. Um, the other thing is there is no... Um, Pennsylvania, and there's no uh, Pittsburgh, no Philadelphia way to determine the Pennsylvania Constitution. We've been voting for these judges statewide. Uh, we should continue to do so. It's not going to do anything to bring any kind of racial or gender diversity to the bench. Um, that's just not going to happen. Uh, so that, that would be my, my quick 15 seconds if I'm stuck with someone in the elevator to tell them why to vote against House Bill 38. Uh, and then the advocacy things people can do. Um, I encourage you to go to our website, um, www.judicialindependencepa.org. We have the call to action there. If you like to write a letter to the editor, if you want to uh, reach out to your local legislator and let them know how you feel about House Bill 38, there's um, a script there. If you feel uncomfortable in, in what you may say when you call, there's a script included within that call to action to, to kind of give you some pointers on, on what you can say. Um, it'll help you with your 15 second pitch. And um, just, you know, keep up the fight. I, I think, you know, um, our legislators need to hear from us. Maybe we contact them when there's a pothole, or there's a light out. Um, but we need to contact our legislators when there's issues such as this, that they're trying to move through the halls of Harrisburg without us paying attention, trying to catch us sleeping um, and not paying attention, especially when they're moving these through without public hearings. So just keep staying involved and, and learning about the issues. Um, the website, you know, is there for you to see, judicialindependencepa.org, and learn more about the different organizations um, that are involved in this. And you see yourself in this fight because there are um, you know, represented by like a million people, these 125 organizations represent a million Pennsylvanians here fighting back against House Bill 38. I, I also say that it's, this, there, there is a clear attack on, on all of our ability to express ourselves in this democracy. Um, and so I'll say to you, everything that, you, everything that uh, Kadita said is, is real. And please don't think that your one phone call doesn't matter. Your one letter doesn't matter. Your one, it matters. Your voice matters. Whatever you can do, whatever you can offer, it's, it, it matters and it adds and it adds up. So if all of us, you know, think that way, like all of us have an opportunity to express ourselves, all of us have an opportunity to contribute in some meaningful way. You, you know, you don't have to be um, a member of any of these organizations. You can just go to the website and 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 this everything is laid out for you in terms of like Kadita said scripts letters everything you need is there so please please just go just go and look check it out and read for yourself and and share it with someone that's the only other thing i'll say is that we these are great conversations that we have in these webinars but if they don't go outside of this forum to people that you know and people that you talk to on a regular basis then we we haven't done our job we haven't done a good job so please take this conversation outside of this. Awesome, awesome. So uh, Ron's gonna have one question, Miracle's uh, gonna close us out after that, but I do wanna give a shout out to, uh, to Bayard Rustin, um, you know, hanging out over at Kadita's left shoulder. You know, I, I wanted to do that before we left tonight, as soon as we came out, I'm like, okay, I see, I see, you know, representing, you know, so for those who don't know, Bayard Rustin is one of the greatest, you know, organizers um, to ever live. Um, a leader in the LGBT community, faced a lot of challenges um, in, in his civil rights work um, because he was a member of the LGBT community and just one of the great 
great courageous people that has ever walked uh, the earth and was really the strategist behind so much of the work that when we think about A. Philip Randolph and Martin Luther King and the March on Washington and all that stuff, much of like many, many organizing efforts, you know, it's like folks behind, um, folks kind of behind the scenes making that happen. I, I believe he is, from, I believe he's from Westchester, right? This is, my, this is one of the reasons why I traveled with this man pre-COVID. He used to go with me wherever I went. I would take him with me. And he is from Westchester, Pennsylvania, my hometown. And uh, just a reminder to folks out there that in 1963, he was one of the organizers for the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. And he did that thing without the Internet. <laughs> he did that without Facebook or Instagram or emails. And he got 250,000 people to show up on the on the mall there in Washington to advocate for what we need. So we need some more of this Baird Rustin in the moment. Absolutely. Now I wanted, I wanted to give that shout out. So Ryan, back to you. Yeah. Thanks Kahari. Um, I, I actually don't really have anything else. I think everything I wanted to ask about <laughs> has, been, has been pretty thoroughly covered. Um, so I just want to say thank y'all for, for being so thorough, um, for providing all that information, you know, for, for people who, you know, clearly even, you know, people even who are pretty knowledgeable about the topic, um, just still a lot of information covered. Um, so, you know, all across the spectrum, you know, any any level of familiarity with the topic, I think we got through a lot tonight. Um, so thank you all for your time and, you know, for all the great work you do protecting um, the independent judiciary. Thank you. Awesome. Now, Miracle. All right. Am I doing my wrap up? <laughs> my, my traditional well, wrap up? Yeah. Well, you know, usually kind of ask your positive question. You know, oh, yes. You know, okay. Man, <laughs> the energy. You know, we talk all this deep stuff and then she comes with the Yes. Most, so. so we'd like to end on a positive note. We want to ask each of our panelists um, outside, you know, of the Super Bowl, unless the Super Bowl was the one thing, what has brought you joy in recent days? You know, it's a still global pandemic, but, you know, a lot of st stuff is happening. So what is something that has brought you joy um, in the past week or so? I'll go because I'm very excited about this. I got a new dog on Friday. Awesome. He's, he's sleeping right now. <laughs> Maybe you can see him. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Awesome. That's so that brings stuff. me a lot of joy. Good stuff. Who's next? Okay. I, I, I think Leaf has one to close down the show. But, um, you know, in the last week, I had an opportunity to speak to PA Youth Vote, um, organization of 16, 17, 18-year-olds, and talk to them about judicial gerrymandering. And they asked the best questions. And they are so engaged in what's happening in the state and across the country. And um, it just always brings me inspiration to talk to the young folks about how they're feeling about the issues, because we're going to count on them to move us along. So um, that's that brought me joy last week. Awesome. Khalif? Um, it's, it's something somewhat similar to to Kadita's. Um, so we we got a we got a, a mailing list with common cause. You can sign up, and we send out updates about things that we're doing. But you know the email messages that I tend to get um, from people in general. That's, my son. that's that's another joy right there. That's the other joy. Um, the uh, they, and and people will just there's there's still such a, a genuine interest um, in democracy, and there's a genuine appreciation for those who are still fighting for it. You know, there are times I think all of us on the panel can agree that you just feel like 
crap. You know, like it's just so much coming at you and you feel like you can just be overwhelmed at any single moment. But it just takes one letter from one person, one email message saying, hey, I didn't see what you're doing. Thank you. I truly appreciate what you're doing. Thank you so much. And those th- those emails just make my day. I don't get a lot of them, but I get enough to, to keep me doing what the work that I do. So I'm so I'm, uh, so that's that's my uh that's my uh what is it a hot take what is it <laughs> what is it brings you joy that's my joy okay y'all did the hot take at the beginning okay yeah that's yeah. my joy definitely yeah awesome yeah now that's why we do that see like you know miracle has this you know this magical superpower you know what i'm saying and we kind of like get all deep and real intellectual and philosophical and we end it you know what i'm saying you know on a, on a positive note so thank you so much for joining us this has been such an enlightening um and educational conversation um, Kadita Kenner from the PA uh, Budget and Policy Center. Thank you so much. Marie Albages from PA Spotlight and Khalif Ali from Common Cause joining us tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. We're looking forward to continuing this conversation later this year and please come back soon. Thank you so much. And again, that was uh, Kadita Kenner, Khalif Ali and Marie Albages, three of the state's uh, leading experts on judicial gerrymandering and uh, Marie's done incredible uh, reporting and journalistic work and the advocacy that Kadita and Khalif are doing, um, you know, is, has shown in just the level of, uh, of support um, that, that has come out to stop, you know, this from happening, this bipartisan table that, that Kadita talked about. So, uh, wow, what another a great conversation, you know, season two. Of the power hour, you know what I mean? Smashing season one, man. Wow. You know what I mean? <laughs> wow. What, a, what an incredible uh, season so far. Uh, yeah, I, I mean. I didn't I, even realize uh, season one never ended. I didn't know. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> oh, we kind, of, we kind of got like new graphics and stuff, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, like that's kind of like the yes, signal season two. Switched to, to, uh, to StreamYard from Live. It's like the change. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You've been making changes, you know. There was a point. Pennsylvania keeps creating new legislation, and so I guess we should be happy because that keeps us employed and we have stuff <laughs> to talk about. But yeah, right. we've consistently been, it's been over six months, we've done shows like every single Monday without a break, and we've even had some uh, special um, election. So we've done right. uh, shows two or three times in a week. Um, and we even had some special interviews. So like we're, we're out here um, doing the work. And again, uh, we invite all these elected officials to come on the platforms. We understand some of the um, PA uh, GOP is not really doing uh, a lot of media, but we, again, we invite any and all folks to come on the platform to talk about the policies that they're putting forth um, in the legislature. And that's what we're here for. So people can talk directly to the people and we can ask the important questions and we need to know what's going on. Yeah, I think, yeah, we definitely need to check uh, the actual um, dates. I think we're actually coming pretty close to a year already. Cause I mean, it's February and I think we started in April or May. So we're like nine or 10 months in. I mean, it's pretty phenomenal. Um, yeah, that's crazy to believe. You know what I mean? You know, get death taxes and, and power hour on Monday night are things you can depend on. I guess in Tom Brady winning the Super Bowl. I guess that's the other thing. You know, those four, the four things in life we can depend on. <laughs>
See, I like it doesn't bother me. Now. I'm a baseball guy, so I'm actually kind of happy. You know, yeah, what I mean? say, now you heard it's me with that last season. one, Jahari. That we didn't have to bring that up. Oh <laughs> <laughs> I'm a baseball guy, you know, which I, sh- I guess I shouldn't be happy. Yeah, you know? if you're a baseball guy, look at the Pirates. Like, right, yeah, I guess I shouldn't be happy. <laughs> you got nothing to be happy about that. But there's, there's an old, there's an old saying. You know, I don't know if you ever heard this old saying. You know, a bad day at the ballpark beats a good day at the office. So <laughs> I'll give you that much. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, well, to everyone, thank you so much uh, for joining us for the latest edition of, of the One Hood Power Hour. Again, thank you, uh, Kadita Kenner, again, give us a, a shout out in, in the chat from the PA about a, a PA Budget and Policy Center, uh, Marie Albajez from Spotlight PA, as well as Khalif Ali for, for Common Cause. And uh, thank you so much for the great, um, for uh, just for the great. Uh, insight and and just the the expertise that was brought to the table and before we leave shout out to producer john uh, who's always keeping us on point and and a miracle is going to run down uh this week's uh uh, the weekly programming on the one hood media network yes so we um have a lot of stuff going on so we want to thank you all for tuning in and, and watching the shows with us we have a lot of programming. So tomorrow, Tuesday at two o'clock for what Black Pittsburgh needs to know. We're talking about education. Um, so we're going to have some panelists on who are going to be talking about ways that we can uh, support and protect our youth in this time of COVID-19. If you've been paying attention, there is a lot of uh, uh, discussion about what's going on between PPS. So we have um, Malcolm Thomas from Reaching Back. We have Dr. Tracy Reed Armont um, from the Grable Foundation and Tammy Thompson from Catapult Greater Pittsburgh, who is going to be on the show for Tuesday at two o'clock. Wednesday, we do have This Week in White Supremacy. That's our, our fun 18 and up show where we just talk about everything that's been happening in the past week, uh, talking about like white supremacy and why it's important that we name uh, things that are happening in our communities. Thursday at uh, noon, we also have On Tilt, which we talk about the state of uh, mental health, uh, especially particularly in uh, Black America, but we talk about ways uh, that you can protect your mental health, uh, seeking therapy, um, going for walks, turning, turning, you know, things out, prioritizing your life. So as an activist and organizer, I'm doing on tilt. The third Thursday of the month at seven o'clock, we do ask a black doctor so people can talk about COVID-19, um, vaccines, anything medically related. Um, the second Friday of the month, we have Black Light, where we actually interview local artists and artisans about their work and how they contribute to the region. And the last Saturday of the month, we have the Next Level Slam. It is a national poetry slam where we invite artists to come in and share their poetry. And first prize is $250. Um, in addition, we do have some extra um Shows coming on this week. Uh, we have a partnership with the Holocaust Center of Pittsburgh talking about how athletes can speak out against anti Semitism. I believe that is on Wednesday at 7 30. Um, and we have some other programming as well. So please tune in. 
follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are at One Hood Power Hour and at One Hood Media. And so we'll have a lot of shows coming for you. So stay tuned. And um, next week, we were going to be talking about the Allegheny County Jail. I know a lot of people saw the public source article about the restraint chair. Um, So we're going to delve a little more into some criminal justice issues. And we saw in the chat, last thing, make sure, well, next last thing, make sure to register to vote. But last thing, today is February 7th, which is Black uh, National HIV AIDS Awareness Day. Uh, We know that HIV AIDS is still with us. And even though you can live a healthy life with HIV and AIDS, we want to make sure you take the best, have the best decisions um, and best information uh, for you uh, to make uh, those decisions. Um, So please make sure you are getting tested. Um, If you are active or thinking about being active, make sure you uh, look up Pepper Prep. Um, And Central Wellness Outreach is a local organization. They do provide free and reduced care um, for HIV and AIDS uh, medication and testing. Um, And so please reach out to them if you have any questions or concerns about Prepper Pep. And thank you all so much uh, for tuning in and letting me do the rundown. Absolutely. And shouts out uh, to my cousin, Tracy Reed Armand, who's going to be on the show tomorrow. What Black Pittsburgh needs to know. Just want to, you know, just give a shout out to my cousin. Uh, yeah. So thank you, everyone, for joining us again. One more time. Thank you, Kadita Kenner, Khalif Ali and Marie Alibajis for joining us. Thank you, Ryan White. And thank you, Miracle Jones. And this time of the year, always got to remember uh, Jay Dilla. Rest in peace, Jay Dilla, as always, you know, the GOAT. And, um, yeah, and, you know, football season's over, so now we can look forward to baseball. So see you next week on the One Hood Power Hour. For Ryan White and Miracle Jones, this is Kahari Mosley. Have a good night. Stay engaged. Stay informed. Stay safe. Good night. Good night.